Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for 3908. 3908. And today we're going to be doing a presentation entitled Avion Flu Killer of Millions. I also, the subtitle would be, you know, the days ahead, what to do and how to prepare. So, we're going to be talking about today, what we're going to be talking about is going to be a lot more in depth than just the Avion Flu. We're going to be looking kind of at the big picture, the end time scenario. The whole discussion of pestilence, like it talks about in the Bible, in Revelation. And uh, this is a presentation that I did a couple years ago. Um, I went on a 14-city tour and uh, had a PowerPoint presentation. And uh, essentially got into this particular subject where we were, we're actually looking at the avian flu. But we're going to be looking at a lot of other things in regard to how to protect ourselves in the end times, uh, health-wise, and um, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, starting out, the Bible says in Proverbs 18.15, The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. So this is something we're going to be endeavoring to do today, and I am hoping that I will actually have this presentation up on Google Video the actual PowerPoint presentation, that you can actually view these slides. I'm hoping to have that up in conjunction with this particular teaching. So, uh, Lord willing, that will be the case. And if I do, you'll see a link on this particular page on my sermon audio that you can click into and actually watch the video presentation of this. Now, the topics we're going to be talking about today, just some of them, are, uh, number one, proof that the Illuminati telegraphs their punches prior to cataclysmic events. Why the avian flu is the perfect vehicle for world depopulation and proactive measures you can take to protect yourself and your family. What the globalist elite are planning for Americans. Why the avian flu could be a repeat of the Spanish flu of 1918 that killed millions. We're going to be talking about vaccinations, injectable microchips, food shortages, forced vaccinations, Project BioShield quarantines, and so on. So again, we're, it's going to be a lot more in depth than just the avian flu. Now, in order to establish a foundation, we want to talk about why the Illuminati and the proof that the Illuminati in regard to wanting to depopulate the world. Now, a lot of people are unaware that there's a monument in Georgia called the Georgia Guidestones, and on one of the highest hilltops in Elbert County, Georgia, stands a huge granite monument engraved in eight different languages on four giant stones are ten guides or commandments. These are kind of like the New Age, New World Order, Ten Commandments. It's what the devil does. Now, um, there's a, I know, uh, I'm not going to say several different people, but I know of several different people that have actually went and visited these. On the PowerPoint presentation, you'll actually see actual pictures of these Georgia Guidestones on there. And um, though relatively unknown to most people, these Guidestones are an important link to the occult hierarchy that seeks to dominate the world in which we live. And on this particular slide I'm looking at, there's a cutaway of the Georgia Guidestones, and it says, Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature, leave room for nature. So that's the big cry of the environmental movement. And this is one of the main reasons and ways they're going to they're gonna use to justify taking away our rights to our own land, to... Um, forcing people into particular zones in order to live, because man has come along and ruined nature, 
and what's ruined nature more than anything is, is big business and this type of thing. So they've created the problem that now they're going to offer us the solution, which is exactly how the Illuminati always does everything. And so, in other words, we're viewed as a cancer on the earth, and we have to leave room for nature, this type of thing. I have no problem with, with respecting nature and, and these types of things, but when I see people really get on the environmental bandwagon, my first thought is, Jesus Christ is coming back pretty soon, you know, and in regard to if we're going to put our efforts towards something, if we put all of our efforts toward preserving nature, and let people drop off into hell, or don't warn them about what's coming. You know, where do you want to, where do you want your uh, emphasis to be? And so, I have no no problem with you know taking care of nature and being a good steward, but the environmentalists take it way too far. And the top environmentalists uh, are Illuminati to the core, and they're just going to use this as a ruse to take away more and more of our rights. Now, the first commandment of the Georgia Guidestones is number one: maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. And again, always boils back to nature. So 500 million. That's quite a drop. Because unfortunately, limiting the population of the earth to 500 million will require a reduction of over nine-tenths of the world's population. Now, a lot of times, I'll hear people say, well, they just want to reduce it by two-thirds. Well, if the truth be known, they they want to they want to pull it back to 500 million. See, 500 million is a lot easier to control than 6.6 .6 billion. You understand? Because see, it takes a lot of standing armies in order to control a population that large. The smaller the population is, the easier they are to control. Relating to that subject, we have we can look at John 10:10. 10, 10 where it says, the thief, means Satan essentially, cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Well, in order to get the, the world population to 500 million, you've got to do a lot of killing and destroying. It's what it boils down to. And then Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus' agenda is. It's always the opposite of Satan's. Proverbs 10.16 said, the labor of the righteous tendeth to life. Okay? The fruit of the wicked to sin. So this, nothing about reducing world population to 500 million tends to life. Okay, And that's something we as Christians need to ask ourselves. Is what we're doing with our lives, is it tending to life or is it tending to death? I mean, if you're a Christian driving a beer truck or, or working, you know, serving hard liquor at a bar or something like that, it's not, you're not doing something that tends to life. Okay, some, just kind of a little spiritual check for ourselves. Now, the basic message of the Guidestones is, number one, dramatic world population, as we've already seen, to promote environmentalism, establish a one-world government, and promote a one-world religion. Hmm, sounds like the book of Revelation. Now, professor and researcher Dr. Kurt Coe stated, now, I've got, on this particular PowerPoint presentation, you'll be able to go view, I've got... Um, uh, Every time I can, I, I actually have a picture of the person making the quote and, and, if possible, exactly the reference to where the quote came from. So what we're going to be trying to do also today is to stay away from my opinion. I'm just going to be citing facts that are already out there. So professor and researcher Dr. Kurt Coe stated, quote, The system will be made up of a single currency, single centrally financed government, 
single tax system, single language, single political system, single world court of justice, single head, one individual leader, who would be the Antichrist, and a single state religion. He further states each person will have a registered number without which he will not be allowed to buy or sell. Wow, doesn't this sound like the book of Revelation? Hmm. You know the whole mark of the beast thing in the right hand of the forehead? You won't be allowed to buy or sell without it? And then he says, and there will be one universal world church. Yeah, there will, under the Antichrist. Most likely it's going to be underneath the banner of the Catholic Church, but it's going to be all religions underneath one. At that point, they probably won't even call it the Catholic Church. Who knows what they'll call it? One world church, Antichrist, I don't know. And then he says, anyone who refuses to take part in this universal system will have no right to exist. Well, that lines up with the whole thing about the book of Revelation, where it says if you don't receive, take the mark, you know, in the right hand of the forehead, if you refuse it, you know, you're facing the guillotine. So, that's what professor and researcher Dr. Kurt Coe says. Now, again, I don't want to, this presentation is not being done to scare, but more to inform. The Lord Jesus Christ is perfectly capable of preserving a Christian's life no matter what situation we're facing. Okay? And even if you're facing worst case scenario, He's perfectly capable of giving you the grace and the strength to get through with whatever may come your way. Now, billionaire Maurice Strong presided as the Secretary General of the UN Earth Summit in 1992 where he spoke deploring the world's quote, explosive increase in population, and warned, quote, we have been the most successful species ever. We are now a species out of control. You notice how he tries to dehumanize the human race, referring to us as a species? Then he says, population must be stabilized and rapidly. Now, whenever you hear the word stabilized or sustainable, in New World Order jargon, that means to depopulate. So sustainable or stabilized just means to populate. They, they, a lot of times they'll talk in code. Now, not, not to be outdone, Ted Turner, everyone's favorite, the CNN Time Warner mogul would like to get rid of ev an even larger chunk of humanity. In an Audubon magazine interview, when asked what would be the optimal population level for the entire planet, he said not more than 250 million to 350 million people. So, that's even more aggressive than the 500 million. That would be about a 95% reduction. Now, again, though, God is still on the throne. Okay, so just bear this in mind with the whole presentation. Just because evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, and they have, you know, they're of their father the devil, and of their works they will do, and he comes to destroy, steal, and kill, doesn't mean that the Lord's just going to let that, you know, happen globally to, to, to all the Christians in this type of thing. God always will preserve a remnant. It's, it's a fact. You can look all the way through scripture. He always preserves a remnant. Now, speaking about population reduction, globalist Bertrand Russell says, quote, perhaps bacteriological war may prove more beneficial. Now, this is probably the most important slide that I'm reading off in this whole presentation because it kind of ties in the whole theme for this particular lesson. So he says, perhaps bacteriological war may prove more effective. If a black death could be spread throughout the world once in every generation, survivors could procreate freely without making the world too full. There would be nothing in this to offend the consciences of the devout. 
So notice the last statement. He's talking about a black death being spread once every generation so people could procreate. Um, but the nice thing about it for them, for the New World Order people, is that there would be nothing in this to offend the consciences of the devout. See, if they come across, and, and let's say they just come and they start mass murdering everybody, there's going to be a lot in that to offend people. But if they could do it in such a way where it appears as some pestilence is occurring on the earth, and you don't know any better, because you're believing what the mass media is telling you, well, there's really going to be nothing in that to offend you. Hey, it's happening, what are you going to do? You know, when the Spanish flu happened of 1918 and killed at least 50 million people worldwide, and it's probably more like 100, 100 million, there was really not a lot in that to offend anybody, because they thought, hey, it just happened. You know, this is this plague... Uh, but we're going to be taking a, a much more depth look at that in a second. So, that's something that's very, very, very important to bear in mind. This is one of the perfect vehicles for world, pop, for world depopulation. Because if they do it right, there's going to be nothing in that to offend the consciences of the devout. Particularly, um, in this regard, we're thinking of the Christians and these types of things. Now, this is an article from the... <clears throat> BBC, and it was entitled, Pandemic Could Kill 150 Million People. Dr. Nabarro, a leading United Nations official, has told the BBC that there could be an avian flu outbreak at any time, which could kill up to 150 million people. He said it's like a combination of global warming and HIV times 10. Now, Dr. Nabarro, we're going to be talking a lot about today, he's um, currently the main guy in regard to the United Nations point man for this avian flu thing. He's, he's the main, main guy. And he's been the main guy for a long time. And he is the one that is putting out the most propaganda and putting out the most alarming statements of probably anybody on the planet. Another headline read, uh, this was 31206 from Reuters, and it was entitled, World Has Slim Chance to Stop the Flu Pandemic. The initial outbreak of what could explode into an avian flu pandemic may initially affect only a few people, but the world will have just weeks to contain the deadly virus before it spreads and kills millions. Another article uh, reads, World Health Organization warns Army may be needed to fight, fight the bird flu. Army might be needed. Uh, World Health Organization predicted authorities might need to use the army and police to quarantine about 120,000 people to contain an initial pandemic flu outbreak of just 19 cases. Well, if you do the math on that, if there was just 19 cases and they have to quarantine 120 million people, um, what if 120, well, I'm sorry, 120,000, what if 120,000 people had it? How much would you have to quarantine then? Pretty much the whole world. So, they're just preparing you for what's coming, for the lockdown, that um, if the Lord permits it to happen, will happen pretty much worldwide. This is another article from uh, France, AFP, Agence France Press. 
bird flu near deadly form, and recently UN bird flu chief Dr. David Abaro told governments around the world to prepare for the arrival of a human-to-human strain of the virus as if it will happen tomorrow. So this is what this Dr. Nabarro character is telling everybody. He's, he's really, and he has been saying this for a long time. Remember, I did this tour a couple years ago, and nothing has wavered. A lot of people said, oh yeah, it's not going to happen. There's, there's um, certain people out there that are, you know, debunking, trying to debunk the bird flu. But, like Dr. Mercola is one of them. In fact, he's got a whole book on this. And he's not the only one. They say, oh, it's, it's a hoax, and all the, the bird flu hoax. Well, they're not looking at the big picture. And what we're going to look look at today is the big picture. Okay? And I would challenge any of them to refute this information today. They're just looking at a very narrow view. And they're not looking at it in regard to the agenda of the New World Order. They're not looking at previous history, like what happened in 1918 with the Spanish flu. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, Dr. Navarro is standing in this particular picture behind a podium, and on the podium is the insignia of the United Nations. And in that insignia, you see the whole world kind of in a circular globe. You see all the countries on a globe, and then you see a wreath around it. And I've said this before in some of the other teachings, but that wreath symbolizes um, when the Olympics were first held hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, when an athlete won that particular event, he was presented a wreath because he had conquered the event. When you see a wreath around the world, what the United Nations is telegraphing to you is that their goal is to conquer the world. Now, this is a, a uh, one of the updated slides that I'll have online here. Uh, just got this the other day. It's entitled, Bird Flu Virus Has Mutated Into a Form That's Deadly to Humans. Now, this is just from 3608, so this was just a few days ago. The avian flu has undergone a critical mutation, making it easier for the virus to infect humans. According to a study conducted by researchers at the University of Wisconsin at Madison, one of the primary things that keeps the bird flu from infecting humans is the virus has evolved to reproduce most effectively in the bodies of birds, which have an average body temperature of 106 degrees Fahrenheit. Humans, in contrast, have an average body temperature of 98.6 degrees. This vast temperature difference uh, has made it very difficult for the bird flu virus to survive and grow in the human body. So this is one of the reasons why a human-to-human strain hasn't developed yet. When I say human-to-human, I mean... Right now, the way that you would actually contract the bird flu, H5N1, which is what we're going to be talking about, which is the strain of this avian flu we're talking about, is primarily through interactions with birds, some type of interaction. We'll be looking at those specific things in a second here. Um, but what they're on, what we're on the lookout for is when this thing mutates into a form where a human can actually transmit this disease to another human readily. That's when it will get into what they would call the pandemic mode. And that's what we're, we're on the lookout for. They're saying here now, these University of Wisconsin at Madison, that, a, that the bird flu virus has mutated into a form that's deadly to humans now. Uh, it's said in the current study, researchers found that this strain of the bird flu, the H5N1, has developed a mutation that allows it to thrive in these lower temperatures because see a a bird's body is about 106 degrees Fahrenheit. A human's body is 98.6. Uh, 
So now this mutation has occurred where the bird flu is, in, is now thriving at lower temperatures. And that was one of the, the uh, critical mutations that um, they were, they've been talking about. Now, just some facts about the avian H5N1 bird flu. Now, see, there's a lot of different bird flus, viruses, okay? There's a lot of different strains. This particular one that we're talking about is called H5N1. The, the Spanish flu of 1918 was called H3N2. So, see, there's just different, a little bit different variations. H5N1, avian bird flu virus, was originally isolated 45 years ago in South African terns. Uh, turn is a type of bird, okay? But 45 years ago, this has been around, H5N1. In 1996, H5N1 was again isolated in a farm goose in China outside of Hong Kong. Humans can become infected by direct contact with infected birds, infected equipment, raw poultry products, bird droppings, and contaminated soil. Those are some of the ways you can actually become infected. And in a lot of these third world countries where they've had these outbreaks, like Indonesia, Malaysia, China, these types of places, a lot of times these people have a lot of direct interaction with birds uh, because they actually, uh, you know, that's a source of either their income or, they, or they're interacting with them every day on a daily basis. So there's been, that's where you've actually seen the outbreaks as, as of this point. The avian flu virus lives up to three weeks at cooler temperatures and one week at room temperature. A single gram, which isn't very much, of contaminated manure, just contaminated manure can infect up to one million birds. It's quite a bit. The main North American risk is the bird migration through Alaska, in which on average, every year, 6 million birds, 42 different species, migrate over from uh, Russia through Alaska. And that's, that's the main way they're, they're, they're saying that the, uh, the bird flu will be spread through that migration pattern. Now, how the avian flu may evolve in humans. Now, what I'm doing today is I'm presenting both sides of the story. I'm, I'm presenting what the Centers for Disease Control, what the United Nations is telling us. And I'm also going to be looking at some other things in order to give us a full perspective on this particular subject. So, this is how they're saying the avian flu virus may evolve, the experts. Tip, uh, number one, a typical virus enters into a human host. And this could be like the flu virus, just the regular influenza virus. Okay. Number two, the virus, let's just say it's an influenza flu virus, regular one, the virus then releases its genetic material or payload into the body. That's called ribonucleic acid or RNA. Number three, if the avian flu virus, the H5N1, is also present in that body at the same time, so in other words, if you've got the avian flu virus and just a regular virus, and they're both present in the body at the same time, both viruses could simultaneously be releasing their RNA, the ribonucleic acid. I know this is a little technical, but I think it's worth merit mentioning. So they both could be in there simultaneously releasing their RNA. Four, theoretically, the two different RNAs could combine to form a new mutated avian flu strain that could be lethal and readily passed from human to human. That's how they're, they're saying this scenario could go down. Now, sounding the alarm, that this is a quote from Robert, Dr. Robert G. Webster of St. Jude 
Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. If you notice today, I'm going to be quoting a lot of medical doctors because if I'm quoting people that are in alternative health, you can come back and say, yes, but they have a total bias. Well, these are medical doctors that are saying this, that, that are specialists in different and various fields. So what I've tried and endeavored to do today is try to stay away from my opinion and just kind of give you the facts uh, from what a lot of these MDs and these other people are saying. Dr. Robert G. Webster of St. Jude's Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee is one of the world's leading infectious disease experts and is credited with being the first to discover the link between the bird flu and the human flu. He is quoted saying, society just can't accept the idea that 50% of the population could die. And I think we have to face that possibility. End of quote. So that's what Robert... Now, I don't think it's going to be that, um, that bad. I think it could be. I don't think the Lord will permit it to be that bad. Um, but this is what one of the experts is saying. Another article is entitled, The Flu Pandemic Still Remains the Number One Health Threat. This is from last year, 5-1407. A human bird flu pandemic is still the biggest global health threat, according to senior Swiss officials speaking on the eve of the 60th World Health Assembly. He says, quote, We still have an epidemic in birds. We still have regular transmission from bird to humans, and that means that the threat is still there. Um, this man, I can't even pronounce his name, is the head of the International Affairs at the Federal Health, Health Office, and he told a publication called Swiss Info. And the full link, if, if there's a link that um, relates to a given story, I will have it posted on each individual slide so you can check this out for yourself. You know, like I say, don't, don't believe anything I say. Check it out for yourself to verify what I'm saying. Now, some H5N1 avian flu statistics and comparisons. The, according to Centers for Disease Control, as of three, 3 of 6, which was, you know, a couple years ago, at that time, there was 186 confirmed H5N1 cases, bird flu cases. Of them, there was 105 deaths, which would equal a 56% kill rate. So, right now, the kill rate's up to 60%. So, if somebody contracts it right now, worldwide, there's a 60% chance that they're going to die. So this is pretty virulent stuff. Now, in comparison to the Spanish flu of 1918, which was another bird flu virus, that one was the H3N2 virus, and that, in comparison, had a 30% kill rate. So right now, the H5N1 virus has a kill rate double that of the Spanish flu of 1918 that killed 50 million people, at least worldwide. That's pretty noteworthy. So right now, the H5N1 has actually a 100% higher kill rate than the, than the one of 1918, the Spanish flu of 1918. Uh, approximately 50 million people died of the 1918 Spanish flu, and the world population in 1918 was 2 billion. The 2008 world population is 6.6 .6 billion. So if we apply the data above, we're, we have, we're looking at, a um, right now, over 300 million potential deaths from H5N1 bird flu. Now, there's also another agenda w in regard to what we're talking about today. Because 
this isn't just going to be used as a mechanism to depopulate the world. It's going to be used as a mechanism of control. And we're going to be looking at that in, in further depth in, in the uh, coming slides here. The avian flu inf influenza information sheet. This is, I just got this the other day. This is from, um, uh, well, it's entitled avian influenza information sheet from NORAD. NORAD is a big time part of the military establishment of our government. This is the U.S. NORTHCOM's Surgeon General sheet. I got this right off their website. And it says that the avian flu influenza, bird flu, is caused by an influenza type A virus. H5N1 is the subtype of that is currently circulating. Remember I said there's a lot of different avian flu viruses. H5N1 can be highly pathogenic or, low, or of a low pathogenicity. Um, but the high pathogenicity form of it is the type that's infecting and killing people. Symptoms of the bird flu range from the typical flu-like fever to cough, sore throats, muscle aches, to eye infections, to pneumonia, and other complications such as severe respiratory distress requiring ventilation support. So it's, if you contract this, the symptoms are kind of the same as any flu, just that it kills you. Okay, it's a lot more virulent, and it, and it happens, it doesn't take you weeks to die. You could liter literally be dead in a matter of days from this stuff. The current H5N1 complicating factors compared to the 1918 H3N2. So, what we're going to do it now is, we're going to look at, okay, we've got H5N1 now, which has double the kill rate of the Spanish flu of 1918 that killed 50 million people. Let's look at some more complicating factors, though, that exist today that didn't exist back in 1918. Number one, the current H5N1 flu virus hasn't even mutated yet. We're not even dealing with a mutated human-to-human -human strain, which could be even more virulent. That's number one. Number two, today we have air travel. Back in 1918, we didn't have jetliners and these types of things. To, so, in other words the uh, virus can be spread much more readily now because we've got jets and airplanes flying all over the place and that could be used to carry the people to spread it. We didn't have that in 1918. Today we have a higher world population. And the demographics of that world population are more the people live in the city. So if you have a higher world population and more people are living in closer proximity, then the bird flu or anything like that could spread more easily. Whereas in 1918, it was more of a rural population, okay, where, where a lot of people were in the country and that type of thing. So that prevented, to a certain extent, people contracting it. Also today, we have a higher immune-compromised population. There's more people that are living a lot longer, and, you know, as you age, your immune system, your immune system function starts to go down. Whereas back then, people didn't live as long, so... As a result, there were less elderly people. Also today, we have HIV. Okay, that's already... Uh, uh, HIV or AIDS, these people already have, you know, they're already immune compromised. So it wouldn't take a whole lot to push them over the edge. We also have autoimmune diseases that exist today that did not even exist in uh, 1918. And we can thank the vaccinations for that. We're going to be talking about vaccinations more um, in some of the preceding... Uh, slides we're going to look at. We also have today soil depletion that really didn't exist near to the extent it does now. In today's day and age, particularly in America, what they do is 
Um, they deplete the soil by growing crops year after year after year. And in the Bible, the Bible says that you let the land rest every seventh year. Now, I know we're not under the law, but there is a, a lot of wisdom in doing that, letting the land rest, because it helps to put the nutrients back in the soil. But they don't do that because it's all about the money. And what they do is they spray three things on the crops to get them to grow. It's called NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. And they're only getting, the crops are only getting three things they need to grow. And there's, you know, like 80 trace minerals that they need in order to grow. And then a lot of other things that need to occur in the soil. The soil's been essentially killed and sterilized. Because they're using fur, uh, fungicides and herbicides and all these other things. Because the plants that are growing up out of this depleted soil have no immune system. So they've got to use all these pesticides in order to keep the bugs off them. God sent the bugs there to eat them up because it's kind of like survival of the fittest. And if they were doing it God's way, these weaker, weaker plants would be getting eaten up by the bugs, but they're not allowing that to happen either. So the food that people are eating is depleted. We need food that's rich in trace minerals and vitamins in order to have a strong immune system. We're not getting that at all. We're being exposed to over um, potentially up to 70,000 different chemicals every day according to Environmental Protection Agency and of those, 65,000 are carcinogenic meaning cancer causing. So, we've got a dynamic taking place today where we're so ripe for something like this to happen and, and people's immune systems and systems are so weak and depleted we didn't have that, that same dynamic in 1918 not near to the extent we have it today. So these are some complicating factors that exist today that didn't exist in 1918. Further consequences of a pandemic would be worldwide economic devastation. This is why I've, I'm always kind of trying to tell people, you know, hey, if you can, if there's a way you can prepare for the times that are coming, the Bible says the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. Because if this were to go down, here's here's the scenario, and and. This is what our own country is telling us. This is what the United Nations is telling us. And we're going to be looking at this. We're going to be verifying that these points I'm going to just mention here real quick are going to happen when this outbreak happens. Number one, the borders will be sealed. So basically every country, they're going to seal their borders because they're going to try, they're not going to want people to come into their country to spread it or people to go out to spread it. Okay. Number two, air travel will be halted. So all the air, airlines had shut down. Three, importing and exporting would come to a standstill. Four, shortages in fuel, food, goods, etc. Five, massive unemployment. And six, the ensuing panic. Okay, so this isn't a time, when, when this goes down, this isn't a time where you're going to want to rely on the government. Because they're going to use this as a control mechanism against you. Yes, they'll have the answer, but there's going to be a major price to pay for getting their remedy. Okay, and this is why I say it's good to have, you know, things like, uh, you know, food and and um, water provisions and these types of things, a way to pur purify water, um, a lot of different things that you can do. And I'm going to get into that more at the end, in order to prepare yourself. Now, in order to further lay a proper foundation regarding this information on the avian flu, it's imperative to address some other issues that will give further clarification and light to the remainder of this presentation.
So what we're going to be do, we're going to be kind of taking a little detour here to lay a further foundation for the other stuff that we're going to talk about regarding the avian flu. Now, um, Senator Claiborne Pell of the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, this is a quote I'm going to be reading, where he comments on a USA-USSR treaty signed in 1978. The senator said, now that we can control the weather, create earthquakes and tidal waves, and use it as a weapon of war, we do not need a treaty. Wow, that's a pretty bold statement. So what treaty was the senator in reference to? The treaty is called the Convention on the Prohibition of Military or Any Other Hostile Use of Environmental Modification Techniques. That's the name of this treaty. The government treaty is currently posted online at the U.S. Department of State, and I give you the website, you can go check it out for yourself. I'm not making this stuff up. This treaty was signed in Geneva, Switzerland on May 18, 1977, and entered into force on October 5, 1978. Quoting from the first and second paragraphs of this treaty, we read, The use of environmental modification techniques for hostile purposes does not play a major role in military planning at this time. Now, notice, this is very matter-of-fact that they're saying this. This is a governmental treaty. The use of environmental modification techniques for hostile purposes does not play a major role in military planning at the present time. And that was 1977. Such techniques might be developed in the future, however, and would pose a threat of serious damage unless action was taken to prohibit their use. Wow. Now, in this particular slide, I have a picture of what they call a harp field. And... Um, this is one of the ways, this is one of the technologies they have in order to, to modify the weather. And when you go up on the Google video, you'll be able to get all the links and all the, see all the pictures as well. In July of 1972, the U.S. government renounced the use of climate modification techniques for hostile purposes. Both the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives held hearings. Beginning in 1972, the Senate adopted a resolution in 1973, calling for an international agreement prohibiting the use of any environmental or geophysical modification activity as a weapon of war. Now, they're, they're acknowledging it can be done. Okay, they're just prohibiting its use. But, like, that's going to stop any particular country that's bent on using it. Now, this word geophysical is defined as the physical processes and phenomenon occurring especially in the Earth. This would include processes like earthquakes, volcanoes, and tidal waves. This is stuff they can do. So, in other words, the government has possessed technology to manipulate both climate and geophysical Earth patterns for many decades. There, a good um, uh, DVD that you can get to explore this further is Bill Schneblin. Um, he actually, on the particular tour that I did, um, the 14 city tour that I mentioned, he was the guy that toured the month before me. But he's got a DVD entitled Russia's Secret Weapon to Defeat the United States. And I know you can get that on cuttingedge.org if you, if you do a keyword search. Russia's Secret Weapon to Defeat the United States. Now this is from a military um, uh, publication called 
China Lake Weapons Digest. And I give you the link. It's a Navy website. You can go see this. And I actually have the pictures here of this particular equipment we're going to be mentioning here. And um, it says, China Lake was for many years a world leader in weather modification for drought relief, which was called, the plan was called Gromit, hurricane abatement, which was, in, which was under the plans of Cyclops and Storm Fury, fog abatement, and rainfall enhancement for military purposes, which was called Project Popeye. So there, again, this is very matter of fact. This is a Navy um, Weapons Digest publication that they're admitting right here that they're, that they're a world leader in weather modification. For one, for drought relief. Well, why, why do we have droughts then? If they can get rid of it. Hurricane abatement, that means getting rid of hurricanes. Okay? Again, why do we have hurricanes? Why do we have these devastating hurricanes wreaking havoc on places that they can get rid of them? They got the technology right here. Cyclops and Storm Fury. Rainfall enhancement. You know, you're just going to have to kind of do the math on this. And then they show you uh, this equipment right here in this particular picture that I'm looking at. Here it is appropriate to quote ex-Defense Secretary William Cohen, who on April 28, 1997 said, quote, Others are engaging even in an echo type of terrorism, whereby they can alter the climate, set off earthquakes, volcanoes remotely, through the use of electromagnetic waves. Again, this is a, this is a um, defense secretary who on April 28, 1997 said this quote. Uh, and very matter of fact that they can set off earthquakes, volcanoes remotely through the use of electromagnetic waves. He said, that to, he said this at the Conference on Terrorism, Weapons of Mass Destruction, and U.S. Strategy at the University of Georgia in Athens. And I give you another link that you can go to here where you can explore that subject further. Now, the U.S. Senate Bill 517 and U.S. House Bill 2995 says these bills would allow experimental weather modification by artificial methods and implement a national weather modification policy and are on fast track to be passed in 2006. I checked on these recently, and I think they're still, they still haven't been passed yet. Okay, but they're still there. The appointed board of directors established by these bills do not include any agricultural, water, EPA, or public representatives and have no provision for congressional, state, county, or public oversight of their actions or expenditures. So in other words, they're totally above the law. When we're talking about so much of what we're going to be talking about today, there's no oversight. It's like basically giving the devil a blank checkbook and unlimited authority and power, and saying, do whatever you want, we're not even going to try to police you. It's a pretty good deal for the devil. Now, is the proof that the globalist elite telegraph their punches? We're going to be looking at this now. On September 4th, 2005, the website, www.thestate.com, which is known as South Carolina's homepage, this is like the homepage for South Carolina, published a news story entitled, 12 Lessons That South Carolina Can Learn From Katrina. A quote from that article reads, In 2001, the Federal Emergency Man Management Agency, FEMA, ranked the most likely and deadly disasters that could befall the United States. The top three were a terrorist attack on New York, an earthquake in San Francisco, and a hurricane in New Orleans. 
The list was announced at a conference on September 10th. The next day was 9-11. So on September 10th, FEMA accurately predicted the three most likely and deadly disasters that could befall the United States. These, di these disasters were, number one, a terrorist attack on New York, two, an earthquake in San Francisco, and three, a hurricane in New Orleans. On the very next day, after this FEMA prediction, the attacks of 9-11 occurred. Pretty amazing. The Twin Towers and the Pentagon were attacked. So, is that a coincidence? The next day? And then we're going to be looking at the whole hurricane on New Orleans, which was well before Katrina. We're going to be looking at that in a second, too. Now, this is also precisely as the Illuminati card game predicted in 1995. In 1995, a company came out with these cards. It was called the Illuminati card game. And on this particular card I'm looking at from the Illuminati card game in 1995, we see the trade, the trade center towers being destroyed, being attacked, terrorist type of attack. Essentially the same scenario that happened on 9-11. And again, we're looking at what, what we're looking at right now is, does the Illuminati telegraph their punches? Now, if you want to know more about this Illuminati card game, you can go up to cuttingedge.org and um, type in Illuminati card game or Stephen Dollins. He did a whole um, uh, teaching on this, where he gets into this. Now, what I'm looking at right now is the official cover of FEMA's 8 of 97 booklet that features a drawing of the southern skyline of Manhattan. Notice that, and again, you'll be able to see this on, online, um, Lord willing, when I get this up. Notice that the crosshairs are trained on the south tower of the World Trade Center. In other words, I'm looking at the skyline, there's crosshairs trained on the south tower of the World Trade Center. These crosshairs are not dead center on the tower, but off center on the very spot where the, where the plane struck it 39 months later. Pretty amazing. 39 months later, so we've already had now two witnesses. We have this Illuminati card game that shows an attack on the Trade, the, the trade Center towers. And then we, now we've got FEMA's own official cover of the 8 of 97 booklet that features crosshairs trained on the very center where the plane struck it 39 months later. Hmm. Wow, here's another one. The U.S. Department of Justice manual I'm looking at now, dated 6 of 2000 taught local law enforcement enforcement how to deal with a terrorist attack. The cover is imprinted with the seal of the U.S. Justice Department and a seal of the National Sheriff's Department. So again, we're looking at that particular thing, exact same picture, well before the tax, attacks of 9-11. Here's another one. This image I'm looking at is located on page 45 of the Air Force Manual 10-100, Airman's Manual, August 1999 version. And I, tell, I give you the link where you can go to this. It's lo located online. Now, not to say that, that at some point they won't try to take a lot of these links down, but um, they've been up for quite a while, years at this point. Obviously, the number one and number three FEMA predicted disasters have already occurred. Therefore, one has to wonder when an unprecedented earthquake on the West Coast might be next on the hit list of the Illuminati. So, in other words, we've already had, of these three FEMA-predicted disasters, which would be worst-case scenario, we've already had the attacks on 9-11.
We've already had the major, major hurricane come through New Orleans. The only other one left is the um, an unprecedented earthquake on the West Coast. Now, here I'm showing an actual picture on this particular slide of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. Here's an article from 32706 entitled, Californians are living on a time bomb along a fault, fault line. Geologists consider the Hayward Fault the most dangerous in San Francisco Bay Area, if not the nation. Um, U.S. Geological Survey seismologist Tom Broker says it's locked and loaded and ready to fire at any time. Now, we've been hearing a lot about that for a long time in America. Now, it's a common tactic of high-level occultists or cabalists to telegraph their punches prior to an attack on them. In this way, these individuals feel empowered when they see their victims power, totally powerless and unable to prevent their own demise. This is another tenet of Luciferianism where they want to they be able to say, well, we gave you warning. You know, we, we gave you warning in a very veiled way, but yes, we still gave you warning. And they love it in this particular form of witchcraft when they see their victims powerless and unable to prevent their own demise. And yet they can still go back and say, hey, we warned you. From FEMA's infamous three threats, which we just looked at, the three threats they talked about, to the movie Oil Storm, which preceded and predicted Hurricane Katrina. In Oil Storm, now this is an actual movie on the FX network. It debuted on June 5th, 2005. Less than three months before Katrina struck Louisiana. On August 29, 2005. This movie accurately telegraphed the same scenario that happened with Hurricane Katrina in a documentary-style footage. Oil Storm explored the aftermath of a Category 5-plus hurricane slamming into Louisiana, crushing the city of New Orleans, thereby crippling the pipeline for refined oil that is in Port Fouchon, consequently disrupting the flow of oil to the United States, making gas prices skyrocket. It's pretty much what happened, right? They even have their own website for this movie, and I give you the link there. I don't know if that website's up anymore, but it was last time I checked. Now, when I was on this tour in May of 2006, it was the exact same time that ABC came out with the bird flu thriller. Okay, I don't know if you remember that or not. But uh, it aired May 9th, and it... Um, let's see here. This is a report from uh, Michael Starr at the New York Post. The movie stars Stacey Keach and Ann Cusack in a tale of worst-case scenario. If the bird flu virus was transmitted by humans in America... So again, this is what they're, they're telegraphing. He goes on to say, we've gone to great effort to make sure the film is accurate. Co-producer June Inferno said, okay, so they're making sure that this, this show's accurate. Well, what does the show portray? Well, USA Today said, in the movie, Fatal Contact, a United States businessman visiting China is infected and carries the deadly virus back via the jetliner to the United States. Remember what I said before about now we have we have airline travel. We didn't have it back in 1918. So this businessman from China uh, gets infected, carries it back to the United States. Before the movie ends, riots erupt. Armed mobs try to hijack vaccines. See, that what they're trying to portray in this movie is that the vaccines are your salvation. We're going to be looking at taking a thorough look at that later. And then authorities predict that 350 million people will die worldwide. 
Okay, that's what the movie's projecting, and they're saying they're trying to make this very, very accurate. Um, so 350 million, according to 1918 statistics, would be seven times greater than the Spanish flu of 1918. So this is what they're, they're telegraphing to us. Now, I remember when I was on tour, and I, I have the article still, that a person came up to me and they said, here's the advertisement, and it was in one of the periodicals, I think they were in the Sunday paper, and when they were advertising this movie, it showed this little girl with a teddy bear standing behind a chain link fence with a with like a surgical mask on, and it said, and it was advertising Fatal Contact, this movie. So again, that's what they're trying to present to us: people in prison camps being quarantined, even little girls. You know, that's that's what they're trying to uh, telegraph. So the motivation for this telegraphing is also to see how much prior knowledge the Illuminists or the Illuminati can give away so that they can gauge the kind of public outcry that will be generated. For the most part, the signal that has been sent to the globalist elite is that Americans are apathetic because there has been virtually no public outcry regarding the information that I've just presented. And we haven't even looked at the information we're going to get into shortly. So in their eyes, this is the green light to implement their draconian plans further. See, if there's no public outcry, they say, okay, the, the sheeple people are ready. Um, we, we can implement an even a more drastic draconian agenda because they're ready. There's no public outcry. They don't care. And apathy is the biggest reason that that, that is happening. Because the average, particularly American... Uh, is of the opinion that, hey, if it's not affecting him personally right away, right now, then, you know, or whatever, it's not my problem. Now, Edmund Burke said, all that is required for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. And there's a lot of truth behind that. Uh, now, granted, I know the Bible says in, Revel you know, in, in the New Testament Revelation that these things are going to happen, they're going to come upon the world, but... Um, we as Christians also have a responsibility to warn others, and whatever the Lord's calling you to do, you know, that do. And along those lines, a man named Edward Everett Hale, the son of Nathan Hale, said, this is a quote, he said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. What I can do, I should do. And what I should do, by the grace of God, I will do. So again, we're, it's the body of Christ. We're all called to different things. Everybody can't do everything. okay? But to whom much is given, much is required as well. So while the globalist elite are accustomed to putting the entire world on notice as to what they're planning for them, they typically do not communicate the exact times that their plans will be carried out. And they do not want the motivation behind their agenda exposed. So there's certain things they don't want to reveal. Now John 3.19 says, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. So see, these people love darkness rather than light. And if you're not even, even a regular person most of the time can't relate to this type of evil that we're going to be talking about here. Um, but we're talking, you know, the people that are in the Illuminati, these generational Luciferians or Kabbalists, they're, they're demon-possessed as you could possibly be. 
sold out to Satan, and they are of their father, and of their father's works they will do. And he's the father of lies. So a lot of this is done under veiled things, a lot of lies being told, in order to position humanity in a position where it can be crushed. Now again, the Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne. Um, but at the same time, we can still be destroyed for lack of knowledge, according to Hosea 4.6. Now David Rockefeller, the founder of the Trilateral Commission, in an address to the Trilateral Commission in 1991, said the following. We are grateful to the New York Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity during those years. But the work is now much more prepared and sophisticated I'm sorry, but the work is now much more sophisticated and prepared to march toward a world's government. So that's what David Rockefeller said. And he said the reason for it is because these great publications like Washington Post, New York Times, who they control, and all the other media organizations, have respected the Illuminati's... Um, Have, it, it says they respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. So, in other words, they've done a big cover-up for uh, these people like David Rockefeller who've been putting forth this draconian agenda. He said, then he goes on to say, if, if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity during those years, it couldn't have happened. Okay, and that's true, most likely. Or it would have made it a lot harder for it to happen or push the agenda forward a lot further. I think at this point, I'm going to go ahead and um, break, and we're going to go to the second part here. So we'll see you on the second part. God bless you.